Hey, it's Mark Thompson, and I'm so delighted to have an opportunity to share with you one of the most remarkable thinkers on the new ways of work. Everybody's talking about how to get to work, how to be engaged in work, and how to get the best talent, because we're all competing for the best and brightest to come on our mission and share our belief system and come with us to build great companies. So today we have the opportunity to talk with Maggie, who's got a front row seat in building the products and services on a platform called Indeed that has hundreds, literally hundreds of millions of job seekers. And she has a really interesting message about how we who are trying to hire the most talented need to think about those talented people like we think about customers. How do we light up their hearts and minds? How do we bring them into this mission? How could they be the best promoters of our services? In fact, you've probably seen now, there's something called an ENPS, the Net Promoter Score that's used for whether somebody will recommend you as a product or service. The E version has everything to do with, well, would an employee recommend that you come work for us? And so that philosophy and principle is overflowing in this conversation with Maggie. Please share with me your comments and your thoughts about the new ways of working. You're really going to enjoy Maggie. I'm so delighted to have Maggie with me today. She's such a great mentor, a partner, and a, a friend to so many who are trying to grow businesses at a pace that's really pretty unreasonable for all of us right now. How is it that we're all engaging our employees? How are we serving customers? And all of that's in a state of flux, transformation, and change. So Maggie, you've, you've been at the center of that vortex. Sometimes you've been the hurricane yourself, attracting all the energy. Certainly in your role, you're doing that now. But tell us a little bit about the journey that you've taken to this gig and a little bit about what that current agenda is for you in terms of what you're trying to accomplish at Indeed. Well, thank you so much for having me. So I am the GM of Enterprise at Indeed. And in that role, my focus is on helping innovate products and solutions for the world's largest employers and help them make hires at scale. The mission of Indeed is to help people get jobs. And for me, um, that's been you know, a big part of why I enjoy working at Indeed so much. It's a purpose that really matters to me. And I know that makes a difference in the world and makes a difference to so many people. Um, you know, my journey to, uh, to get to this point, um, if, I, if I think about the big, the big sort of steps along the way, most of my early career was as a consultant at McKinsey, um, about six years altogether, both before and after business school. And that was really an incredible formative learning experience for me. Mm. Um, I really, really loved working at McKinsey. Um, I then spent about five years at Google in sales strategy and operations focused on growing the core ads business. And the last five years have been an Indeed. Um, and look, I think in addition to the purpose of Indeed being so um, compelling, uh, it's also for me about um, working in an industry that is just massive and has a ton of room for innovation and disruption and working with a leadership team that I really admire and genuinely enjoy working with every day. Your, your journey is one that's particularly interesting, I think, to many of us because you've had the context of helping companies think strategically in, in the roles that matter to them 
as well as being in a place where you had to engage customers uh, in a way that you're helping people come to Google. When you think about that process of being able to engage from a platform standpoint, which is what you're doing at Indeed, and that there is truly, I mean, it's cliche, I guess, this war for talent, there's a shortage uh, and so much demand for those people that we're hiring to be so much more than maybe the job description. Could you, could you talk about how you're engaging uh, in that regard with the, with the customers? And then I'd love to then pivot to how you think about that in terms of driving the, the, the work of your own team. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, it's important to acknowledge that as we think about Indeed, we really start with a job seeker first mentality, sort of a, a user first mentality. It's really a two-sided marketplace, of course. But the philosophy of Indeed, the number one sort of value of Indeed is job seeker first. So if there's ever you know, a tie that needs to be broken, the tie goes to the job seeker. And that means as we think about sort of our innovation agenda, we're always thinking about, well, what is gonna create an experience that will be even better for them? How do we help them find opportunities that align with their preferences, their interests, what they're solving for, which of course is not always straightforward. People have lots of things they're solving for as they think about the best possible next opportunity for them. And what's nice is ultimately what's best for the job seeker draws more job seekers into that ecosystem, which ultimately makes it faster and easier for employers to connect with the right talent. So a lot of our, um, our conversations with employers is about, you know, how do we make it dramatically faster, dramatically easier, dramatically more, you know, effective for them to hire the people they're looking for on our platform. And of course it's a journey. And, you know, there is um, certainly in this moment, post COVID, I don't think any of us would have predicted that coming out of the pandemic, there would be such a, an imbalance. I mean, I think we expected there would be a little bit of imbalance, but the amount of imbalance that exists right now with so many employers trying to hire and not the same, you know, job seeker demand, that's been a very interesting phenomenon to be a part of. And we spend a lot of time working with our employers to understand what we can do differently to help them. Um, and so that, you know, that helps steer our, our innovation agenda. Everybody on this conversation that we're hosting here is an employer and the people themselves, of course, their talent too. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining everybody who's watching or listening today is getting hit on all the time. And so having that empathy for thinking of the employee as a customer right. is a framing that might help a lot of us start to think about how to really answer the call for how do we get the right people in the right seats and the talent that we need. Do you think and that I there's, think there's an, an acknowledgement there? across organizations and maybe even I've heard some HR leaders call it sort of the great awakening that came out of COVID with how important HR is, how important, you know, communication and empathy and, you know, employee engagement is strategically, but in particular in moments like we've all just lived through. And and now that we've sort of had this massive work from home exper experiment, now maybe persisting, um, at least you know part of the time for many organizations, I think you have employers thinking about, all right, well, how do I how do I convey my culture 
how do I continue to convey things that I used to really depend on in-person forums for effectively with employees that are distributed all over the world? And it's a yes. really interesting challenge. And I think it's also now um, related to how do you think about giving people opportunities in different ways, maybe a little bit less about, well, you have one job and you do that job and you know, it's it's a little bit more linear. Now, more opportunities for people to work in teams, to have different experiences as part of their development. And, um, you know, the virtual working arrangement actually makes that easier because you can have distributed teams working together, people getting very different types of experiences. So I think a lot of employers that we talk to are thinking about that. And it's changing their mindset a little bit about the skill sets that they think about when they're figuring out who to hire and who to bring into their companies. It is so interesting to hear the conversation around the nature of talent and the demand for it. It's another level of insight for me to hear you talk about how it might also affect the job description itself and the skills needed. So all of us here uh, who are watching today are, are thinking about how we can really get that right person and, and then engage for that role to be filled. And you're saying that, that we might also want to reconsider how we're actually getting that type of work accomplished, this, that this may be the new way of work that, that people have been talking about. I, I think that's, that's right, because you have a lot of, I think you have a lot of organizations that are thinking about experiences once you hire people that help develop skills and redefine skills, and the nature of work is changing so fast. The, the tools that we have, the technologies that we have is changing so fast that you know you're going to have to continually help your employees get new skills, learn new software, learn new ways of working. So it just has to be part of how you think about like long-term talent development. I, I think, so I think that's true. And then I think we also have many, many large organizations thinking um, critically about how they make their hiring processes more fair. And, you know, really asking themselves questions about building inclusive teams, building more diverse organizations, and trying to think about what really needs to change to have that be the case. And in some HR organizations, you know, and this is something that we're trying to help with, with some of the things that we're doing, it can be saying, look, traditional things we used to look at, like, hey, just a couple schools will we'll source from, or, you know, it has to be people who have worked at McKinsey, it's very limiting in terms of the potential talent that you can bring into your organization. So if you think about other ways to assess, is this a person who can do the job, be successful in the job, and how do you sort of open the aperture of how you think about talent that could potentially be transformative in your organization? We have a lot of really interesting conversations right now with companies about that topic. When you think about that, it seems to me that I was hearing the germ of uh, both this fairness and innovation coming together. So it's not just a moral thing to do. It is a mission critical way of accomplishing innovation that we need to have more voices in the room. Uh, and we need to be in a position so that we can extract the best insights from everyone and not just have universal agreement all the time because that's not really adding value or, or helping us leap forward. Uh, curating that conversation comes later. 
As you think about the type of reach that you have, could you describe literally the, the numbers on the scope and scale of the platform right now in terms of the number of interactions you have, jobs in play, customers and so forth? Because it'd be nice to get a context for the insights that you have that are unique in the industry right now. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Well, Indeed um, has north of 250 million unique visitors, more than 3 million employers who use the platform. Um, millions of jobs are added daily. Every so, it's just it's um, it's a it's a very active platform. And again, that's because we are bringing all of the jobs that are available online into one place. So it's essentially all all of the jobs online um, searchable across you know m many many markets globally. So that's that's sort of the the reach and scale. And we're serving you know the very smallest of SMB all the way through to the largest of enterprise corporations. Um, and again, that means we are we're really thinking very diversely about how we help those companies hire. And of course, the um, their needs differ wildly. So that's part of our innovation opportunity and you know adventure, I guess I would say. When you think about the best practices and how to be the most attractive employer, uh, the best places to work, as some call it, and, and be able to light up those hearts and minds with all that noise and reach into people's souls and say, come work for us. Are there some principles that you can help us as employers think about that would allow us to be perhaps a bit more thoughtful about how to make that pitch with this new way of work? Yeah, I think as an employer, so indeed as an employer, you know, a big part of what we think about and talk about is uh, first and foremost, our mission, which I think really does resonate with a lot of potential talent. Do you have something that your company is about that resonates with people that excites them, that makes them you know, want to come to work in the morning, sort of fired up. So we, so we think a lot about that in our, in our candidate outreach. There's a real focus on how do we help people see that there's an opportunity to really transform and change something. So helping to give them a sense of the boldness of what we're trying to do and how much innovation we're trying to drive. Sometimes when I'm talking to candidates, I say, look, we're a little bit of a rabble rouser. Like there's a bunch of things that we're doing and you can see people sort of get a little bit excited by, okay, I wanna be part of something that matters and where there's real boldness in what they're trying to do. And then I think, you know, there's a lot of focus on just being very attuned to great employee experience. So being very thoughtful about how you take care of your people. We have a communication cadence where we try to have everybody stay very closely aligned with everything that we're doing. In the COVID downturn, we were very careful about not doing any layoffs as much as we could. We tried to do everything else that we needed to do in a moment where nobody was sure how it would play out. And just being very, very thoughtful about taking care of people in the moments where there's a lot of uncertainty. And so I think all of those things are part of the employee experience we're trying to create and the, you know, and the employer brand we're trying to develop. These principles, these three principles, particularly that you describe, say a lot about you as a leader in addition to what the organization believes, which is a nice alignment between the, the values of the organization and, and what we bring as, as individual executives. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about when you might have started to recognize 
this issue of having um, that, that sense of purpose, which is almost cliche now, but it is more compelling than ever. And it's more central to being able to ignite all generations. It's often related to one generation. And then you, you hear that narrative and it ends up being something that we as humans need to feel connected to. Why is this important? And, and maybe as you say, even bold, uh, whether we're introverted or extroverted or whether we're risk takers or not, we'd like to be attached to that moonshot. How did you come to that conclusion, uh, Maggie, in terms of your own life, either early, personal early on or, or at some point that you could share with us? When I went to McKinsey out of college, I was thinking of it as, okay, this is going to be an amazing opportunity to learn and experience. And of course it was that. But I, I was trying to figure out whether that work would change people's lives in the way that I wanted to. And so mm -hmm. I really, I was thinking about that question a lot. And I, I decided actually before I went to business school, I took a year and I, when I went to work for the New York City government, the Economic Development Corporation, to help think about community development for the poorest parts of Brooklyn and the Bronx. And it was about trying to build sort of public-private partnerships so that you could amplify the effect of what lots of different corporations and nonprofits all try to do little spot solutions, but can you make something more integrated that would actually fund, you know, fundamentally change how those communities worked? And it was an amazing experience for me. And it, and it was related foundationally to, hey, do you know what really changes people's lives when they have jobs and meaningful work? Lots of the other problems that you see get solved. And so for me, it was crystallizing, you know, employment opportunity for people, how you help connect sort of education and safe environments, you know, childcare so people can go to work, but ultimately having access to the work was the most important bit. So I think that experience for me was formative. And I think also for me, then I thought, man, government, I don't know that I can, it's a little too slow for me. Like it was just a little too, um, this is gonna take a while this way. So I think, I think for me, that was probably the biggest sort of moment where I thought, okay, I need to continue to think and, and work on finding something that is challenging, you know, fast pace, we can innovate, we can move. I enjoyed so much working in technology, but had at its heart something that I felt personally passionate about. And honestly, I feel very fortunate to have found it. And indeed, truly, it's been, um, it's been awesome in that way. I love that sense of connective tissue where you realize that, you know, as Dr. Benita Thompson says, when she was uh, being presented an award at the Harvard Leadership Summit last year. The last convenience I went to was in 2020 when we were actually all together. And she was talking about this idea that it's often the case when we look at the scale and the scope of the problems we have in our company, but particularly in society or a community, it's like, what can I do? What can I do? And then she said, well, it's interesting how hidden in plain sight, that same language is, what can I do? What, what piece of this can I make a change in? And, and while that ends up being central to describing a purpose or a mission, often we don't find that in ourselves, uh, a belief system that we're gonna do through business. And, and yet that's where all the change is happening. When you think about engaging a team in a mission like you have currently, 
in helping people find employment, helping really connect the tissue of employment, which is central to what you described earlier about in terms of our self-worth and the prosperity of companies. How do you work with a team? Tell us a little bit about how do you collaborate with others in the messy experiment of trying to get all kinds of minds to come together to grow something that you're all making up as you are developing it. I think about it as how can we inspire the teams to drive meaningful change together? And the word meaningful for me has import both for like what we're doing is important in the world and it's big and bold, right? Meaningful change and collaboration is absolutely critical to it. I think one of the things that I say to the teams all the time is I wanna get the best of all the brains. All the brains in this room have very different perspective and I wanna know what's in the heads. And we have this, you know, across indeed, it's, it's generally sort of a pervasive concept that we believe great ideas can come from anywhere. We actually have an internal incubator where any person in the company can pitch an idea and get funded and have a team of engineers come. We've had more junior salespeople pitch ideas and be successful than any other function because they're right on the front line with clients hearing pain points and come up with great ideas and go pitch them. But you know, I think as it relates to collaboration, it has to be you know, bringing people along in the journey. It has to be thinking about, again, sort of triangulating very different perspectives and making sure you're really listening you know, to the different points of view that people feel, you know, that they're being heard. Um, And I think for me, the other thing is just approaching a lot of these problems, which are very hard to solve. And there's often a lot of setbacks or a lot of things that don't go as expected, just with a continual sense of optimism that there's always a way. Sometimes it's not an entirely linear path, but there's almost, there's always a way through. So if we work together, if we keep triangulating, we keep getting the best of the brains, we will find a way to get through this. We will find a way to solve this problem. And I think that also helps rally people together to drive the change we're trying to drive. That mutually beneficial outcome ends up being so critical to at least saying, maybe we're not clear about quite how to do this, but Mm. we wanna get a full hearing to all the options and, and incubate something that'll be providing a set of standards and then maybe hopefully the, the eventual achievement. We were doing a program with an executive who's running a major healthcare company and they're harvesting the data set of millions of entries that are helping people get a better telemedicine. Uh, and this is the data project at, at Novartis where they mm. just have such an incredible vast treasure trove of stuff they they know about and stuff they haven't discovered yet. And a lot of very different rule sets from cultures and ideas around the table. In other words, everybody's true believers. We're saving lives here. And with that level of passion, to your point, it's uh, very authentic and it's very sincere and sometimes gets, uh, you know, (laughs) pretty tense in that room. Um, shouting matches to try to get to that wonderfully mutually beneficial outcome because there's so many different ways around the how. I know that you, when you're thinking about employment, that conversation's happening at all great growth companies, particularly one where you're talking about talent. Yeah. How do you manage that? All of the, uh, all of the skirmishes in the room, the, the glass breaking <laughs> in, the, in the China shop. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe all of us come to the realization at some point that it's almost impossible to please everybody. 
So there's always going to be, you know, moments where you have to decide, am I going to go left or right? And there was a camp that wanted you to go one way that didn't get their way. Um, and so I think in, in those situations, um, you know, I, I have generally found if people feel that we have objectively looked at the best data that we have and triangulated the information we have, and if people understand sort of the why behind the decision at hand, like you've articulated that in a way that people believe is understandable and valid, that, you know, there's sort of that concept of like disagree and commit. It's like, okay, we've, there is no perfect answer here. We've laid out what we understand to be the pros and cons. We decide, and then as a team, we go. And then we have to solve the next problem together. And I think as long as people understand like that's the way that it's gonna work, uh, and you sort of lay that out as part of the process of bringing people in, and you take the time to explain and, and be heard. Because again, people may be frustrated if they don't understand a decision, but once they understand the context behind it and what really was in the trade-off set, they come along with you and they're grateful to have, have had the hearing. So I've generally approached it that way. And I feel like, again, like there, there's often somebody who's still miffed, but usually you can get most of the room with you and moving forward. I think that's a great lesson for executives where you're trying to go boldly where no one has gone before and uh, not get hung up completely. And at the same time, listening to those bold choir of voices, that's, that's that balancing act. When, when you think about how to apply that uh, to the changing set of needs that customers have, it's as if, you know, once having achieved success, often it's not a good teacher because uh, we will want to protect what we built. Um, there's a complacency that can even set in to technology companies as they age. Oh, sure. uh, and uh, also a sense of relief. <laughs> We're here, <laughs> I'm hanging on. Talk a little bit about the change method and, and how we awaken people to the, that being the mantra that may be necessary for the, the next leg of our journey, because we're just getting this finished and I wish the world would just stay saved. <laughs> we have to be heroically on the next mission. Because it is tiring, right? And I think yes. you, have to, you have to acknowledge <laughs> that fighting those fights is, is no joke. It is hard for people, it's taxing. For us, we, we at Indeed are constantly thinking like, okay, this is how we're helping job seekers right now. This is how we're helping companies. And these are all the ways we want to raise the bar and be better. And really trying to focus on acknowledging what is great about what you've already done. You know, it's sort of like the argument where if you start your reason for change with criticizing the current state and the current state's actually pretty good, you'll just put everybody's spikes up, right? Because they're like, exactly. hey, what the heck? We've just built this amazing business. Like, can we please have a little bit of credit here? Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge the foundation that you build upon, like the mm. excellence that allows you to take the next mm. step and to have people feel that you see that. You're, it's not about sort of saying, oh, well, that was then and this is now. So that I think that's part of it. And then I think part of it is helping, making sure you're not taking for granted like why that future picture that you're painting, that vision of the next sort of hill you wanna climb, why it's going to help customers, why it's going to help job seekers. So, you know, in our case, to, to give an example, many enterprise customers have worked with Indeed really just as, you know, a partner to drive 
candidates, interested candidates to their roles. And we are working on a solution to try to essentially automate that experience to the first interview in a way that totally changes the job seeker experience. So there's no more apply to a job and wonder if someone will answer me, wait a couple of weeks, maybe I get called back. It's instantaneous feedback on objective screening. If you've got it, you've got an interview slot and you can do it all in one session in a minute. And wow. it's the storytelling and the realization about how different and how much better that can be for the job seeker that helps people understand why that could actually be transformative in the future, even though it's potentially very sort of friction filled in terms of what employers do and how they think about us today, how they work with us today. So I think that's, that's another part of it. Like, are you connecting it back to how it's going to really change the experience for, for the job seekers, which is the mission, the reason why we're doing what we're doing. And that, that's been a really important part of getting everybody to say, oh yeah, we have to do this. We should do this. It's a, it's a huge insight because I think people don't realize when they're trying to incubate a new product or a service to customers that the old adage, silence is golden, is never true. Uh, there's no time when we ever feel that the hesitation in getting feedback in an interaction, whether it's a customer experience or uh, you know, applying for a job or even an interaction with another human, that silence, you never go, oh, well, she's being very thoughtful about this. No, he's being considerate and, and, and really going to give me even better news the longer I wait. You know, when you're put on hold, you never, you fill that with drama. It's never filled with a reassurance that we got this and we get you. And so that idea of being able to accelerate that feedback loop in the customer experience is, I mean, you're applying that to customers like you were just describing, you apply it to your colleagues in the collaborative uh, context. When, when you think about the uh, opportunity that we all have to, to kind of manage many different functions at once, um, what are you really looking for in, the, in your team these days? Uh, and kind of what advice would you give the earlier version of you as an executive? Um, if she was just stepping into role, what do you wish you knew when you stepped into it? or stepped in it, depending on your perspective. And, and what would you, how would you advise that younger version of yourself, Maggie? You know, I think when I was at the beginning, I thought that you really had to have your, the subject matter expertise on everything yourself. Hmm. You know, I had, I think I, I thought about you just, you really should understand all of the pieces on your own. And of course, as you become more and more senior and you're managing more and more functions, it's literally impossible to have done all the functions at depth yourself. So, I mean, maybe that's an obvious point, but it's definitely one that I was like, okay, at some point you have to acknowledge, you have to get strong leaders that are complements to what you know, that are subject matter experts in that space. And for me, I've just gone through this because I, you know, a couple of years ago transitioned to lead product and engineering teams for the first time. And so for me, that opportunity was about bringing talent into the organization that could help lead, making sure I had ways to triangulate on certain topics. So you weren't, you didn't have a single person or a single voice that you were depending on if it's a function that you don't personally have a lot of expertise in. So there's multiple ways to triangulate options and potential sources of risk. And then making sure 
I think taking the time across those functions to make sure the leaders are on the same page about what's most important and how, you know, we, we want them to be working together. And ultimately, if you can get that part right and get enough strong leaders who think differently and you bring people together to have the open debates, a lot of the things that are potentially problematic can be sussed out before they become more challenging. You know, that's generally how I've approached it. And I think maybe the last thing I would add is just a philosophy to have humility and just try to keep learning yourself. So I feel like every leader, regardless of whether they're sort of a functional leader like a CMO or someone who's in more of a general management position is trying to learn new things, has no choice but to learn new things, learn you know, new approaches and making sure you're making time for that for yourself and encouraging it amongst your leaders. That makes so much sense. I hear so many leaders like yourself talk about that early part in your career when you're, in a sense, you have, you didn't think about it that way at the time, but the luxury of being directive uh, or being more functional. And then as you go elevated into an organization to higher and higher levels of ambiguity <laughs> and, and disparate interests and so many more stakeholders and bosses, including a board of directors, which is often in terms of relationship management, wildly estimated in different ways, depending on the culture of the organization. And as, as people are being groomed for the C-suite or moving into the CEO's role, obviously they're going to be the ones that the, the board often is the, the group that's gonna be voting on the choice. What, what is your advice to folks who are thinking about the relationship management, both with your current CEO and, and with a board of directors uh, in terms of being able to have impact for the firm and your colleagues and, and for your own career? Well, I think for me, one of the things that I'm, I'm thinking about a lot and I think has proven to be important is balancing how you deliver on the priorities in the moment with the vision for in three to five years, where are we going? What does that mean? And getting aligned on that vision. And it's, it's something that we've been working on, you know, I think for, for many, many years, you know, indeed it was operating a little bit more sort of in a short-term mindset and we're trying to sort of stretch out sort of the transformation horizon, if you will, in terms of how all of those things can potentially sequence. And I think communicating those things as clearly as you can and having open-minded sort of soliciting of are we aligned on that vision? What it would mean for job seekers, what it would mean for employers or what it means for the constituencies that your business serves. And then really, you know, listening and understanding what the concerns are, what, what the feedback is. I think that's an important part of it. And then I think our leadership team wants to make sure, I think all of the leaders on the team are thinking about the, the whole company and connecting the dots across how all of the pieces relate and that we're working well with each other as the executive team with the CEO. And so making sure we're being really thoughtful about the ways we are connecting the dots with each other and not operating in silos is something that I feel like every CEO and board appreciates in terms of people thinking through those things and how to be better as a collective team. Yes. If I don't got this, they've got this. And also that we can trust this group to be collaborating their way towards a, a stronger future. You have a large family. There are executives who do. How is it that you think about managing that personal life and that, that context? We've been talking a lot in this program about 
purpose, passion, and their performance in the larger context of our, our lives and career. How, how do you think about that? And uh, we'd love to, to hear your insights of, I, I don't know how you spin so many plates at the uh -huh. same time. <laughs> um, so I do, I have four kids, 12, 10, eight, and nearly six. You know, I've, I've, I've had little kids for most of my professional career. So this has been my, you know, this has been my adventure. It's certainly getting easier than it was, you know, when there was one that was an infant. I feel, you know, for me, it's a combination of making sure when you are carving out time with your family, that it's time with your family and you're being present and you're being dedicated and making sure it's quality time. Part of it is having sort of a support system that you trust, that love your kids the way you love them and that you, you know, you don't think twice about the time that, you know, your kids are excited to spend time with those people just as they are with you. And I have found that that, that has been something that's been wonderful in my kids' lives. They have lots of people who love them and they know that. And, you know, I think having a spouse who also is willing to do the sort of juggle with you makes a huge difference. I feel like a lot of the people who managed to navigate it, that was a fairly critical piece of the equation in terms of how you, how you balance and the trade-offs that you make. And sometimes, you know, someone is moving a meeting to be able to accommodate something. And the next time the other person might need to do it, but just working through that together, that's really been sort of the, the three pieces for me that have made the difference. Those principles, those three principles also sound like a great lesson plan for us to develop as leading executives as we find that we spend really deep and focused time with each of the relationships among our employees and our customers that when we're together, I am with you right now. And that we demonstrate that with our behavior as much as we do with our intentions, that we actually have that impact on the person that they, wow, you know, she or he was with me uh, right now. That matters a lot. And then that they also have great stewards and managers because the quality of our work experience is directly proportional to the relationship we have with our boss. Uh, it, that, that old research continues to be revised. Just the quality of that relationship ends up being uh, the game changer. And then having partners along the way, you can have that flexibility as you just described uh, with your teammates. If you think about um, the, the, the people on the team as they're growing and developing right now, generationally, I'm, I imagine if with a big data set that you have, not only are you looking at big and small companies, but you're also looking at a lot of demographic data. Mm -hmm. And not to overgeneralize, but would there be any observations that you would have, this will be a, a closing part of our conversation around what, what we should know about the various generations who we all need to show. In a sense, we still are calling on four generations to come help us uh, when we're employers, whether they're, they, they, they might index to being the older and the, there might be a few boomers left uh, on our borders, board of directors and, and a lot of Gen Z. Mm. Um, but what would be some of your observations or, or distinctions or maybe there aren't any? Yeah, I, you know, I'm thinking about, um some of the things that we've seen and wondering if they're all obvious, you know, I feel like we have, we see that the, you know, the younger generations, there's, um, there's a lot less phone, right? A lot more sort of text. So if you think about it in hiring, you know, 
people picking up their telephone is sort of like, wait, what? No, nobody does that anymore. Everyone is- You're frightening me, texting, Dad. Or they're like, you me on the you're phone. gonna email me? Ah, huh, okay. So I think there's a little bit of how do you think about the, the way that folks are fluent with technology and how they interact in that way and, and how can that help drive and maximize productivity? I think there's a, there's a lot of organizations thinking about that in terms of technology they have inside their companies that can facilitate like real-time interaction, like, like a Slack that helps, helps teams collaborate and is, um, is also very real-time and instantaneous in the way that it, it feels and works. I think the other thing that I would say is just we, we see things sort of just continually changing. And I think in this moment, I don't know, it's, it's not, it's not a, maybe it's not that insightful, but it's not like there's one group of people that always behave the same as we study them. It's like there's, there's constant movement and innovation in how people are interacting, what they're doing, how they behave. And so for us, it essentially means you can't take anything for granted. You have to really understand, okay, what seems to be working in this moment? Why is it working? And to just iteratively try to get better and better. Because that's what I would share for that one. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. And Maggie, thank you so much because the perspective that you have, both from your individual history as an executive and a member of a community, and then now building this platform that has impact on hundreds of millions of people rolling into the selection process where we're hoping as employers that we get the the best fit for what we want to accomplish going forward. So I, I appreciate your generosity and and um, your your support in, in having this program happen. So thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson. And please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.